0: This concept of community is all over the Bible. I mean, first, God exists in community. Isn't that true? I mean, the Father is not the Son, is not the Spirit. The Son isn't the Father, isn't the Spirit. The Spirit isn't the Father or the Son either, three Distinct persons, and yet these three exist in such communion, such community, such essence and being that that we serve one God, not three. i mean I, I've, been to, I, I've been in school for twenty years. And I didn't even go to kindergarten. I mean, 20 years of schooling. And I can't even begin to understand that. I mean, you know, people give a little x-ray. Oh, well, you know, it's this. Getting my mind around that, it's just too big to comprehend, isn't it? But I know this. It says something really significant about community, doesn't it? You think about Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, that first passage that I have for you there. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying, and he's praying for his disciples, and he says this, my prayer is not for them alone, not just his disciples. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us too. It's Christians for all time. And here's what he prays for us. He says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I mean, Jesus prays that we would be able to experience community at the level of the trinity. Now, oh, do you think? But that's a pretty tall order, huh? To be at such a connection with some other believers that we're of the same essence, just like Jesus and the Father are of the same essence—that that that would exist between us and some other believers, and that it, did, you, did you hear the last part of verse twenty-one? And that this this demonstration of community. Would cause non believers to see it and set up, (coughs) excuse me, and take notice of Jesus. Because they see such community authentically demonstrated amongst Christians. I've seen that happen. I hope you have too, where Christians are living in such connection with each other, such communion, such community. That non-believers go, you know, I don't know that I fully grasp it all, but I want to experience what that's about. I want to look further into this thing about Jesus. See, community, it's all over the Bible. And then there's all those one another verses in the New Testament. Dozens of passages. You know, for most of my Christian life, those were just sort of platitudes. You know, things that sounded really good in church, but nobody really expected anybody to to do any of those things, you know, did they? But then, you know, one day I kind of came upon the realization that if it's in here, then it ought to be practiced by us, shouldn't it? That if God put it in His Word, His commands that we're to do, then if we love God, we need to be doing them, don't we? Things like in John chapter 13. Verse 34, where it says that we're to love one another. Things like in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, where Paul tells us to accept one another. In fact, he even goes further. He says we're to accept each other at the level that Christ accepts us. I mean, that means warts and all, right? That means flaws and all. That means inconsistencies and all. Shortcomings and all, right? Isn't that how Jesus accepts us? Irritations and all. You know, that guy or gal in your small group that just drives you nuts. I mean, can you picture somebody in your mind? If you can't, maybe it's you. I don't know. I mean, you know. We're to accept one another. It's community. It's all over the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul says we're to bear with and to forgive one another. Later in chapter 5, verse 21, he says we're to submit to one another. That we're to humble ourselves under another person. To bring your desires, your wants under that of of others. To receive input from others into your life, even though it may not be the stuff that you necessarily want to hear. It takes a lot of humility to submit to another person. See, a lot of men, you know, We love to throw around that submit card to our wives, but verse 21 here says that submission isn't just a wife thing, is it? That it's something we're to be doing to one another in the context of community. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says we're to admonish one another. That means that we're going to be challenging and pushing each other. About our actions, about our attitudes, about our habits, about the way we do things, about the way we approach things. We're going to be at that level with one another that we can admonish and speak into each other's lives. Hebrews chapter ten, verses twenty-four and twenty-five says, We're to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, to stimulate another person to to, to changes. That means that that you've got to earn the right to speak into their life. You know, people a lot of times love to tell me things I ought to be doing or, you know, that kind of stuff. And you know what? It usually doesn't stimulate me very much if they don't know me, if they think they have the gift of confronting, you know. It's a whole different story when it's someone who knows me and who loves me and has shown they're out for my best and that I've been a part of their life and they're a part of mine. When they speak into my life, you know what that stimulates me to re- to respond to action. And then James chapter 5 verse 16 says we're to confess our sins to one another to know each other at that depth of honesty and vulnerability. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says we're to encourage one another. And that means a whole lot more than just saying, hey, good job, man. You know, you go, girl. You know, that kind of stuff. So much richer than that, so much deeper than that, that, that we're involved in each other's lives, that we're actually helping push each other along, encouraging each other in this pursuit of following Jesus. See, this concept of community is all over the Bible. And there's dozens of these one and another passages. Just take your New Testament and begin to read these things that God means us to do. And it happens in the context of community. It's all over the Bible. And yet, even though I grew up in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, I somehow managed to miss that. That... That somehow the message I picked up was that it was just a God and me thing, this spirituality. It was just vertical this way. But you know, the further I go along along in this journey of following Christ, and the, the more I think I understand God's Word, I think the more I'm realizing that it's not just a vertical thing, it's a horizontal thing as well. That yes, we need God, but we also need each other people that will speak into my life, people who will help me to be part of a team, living life together in authentic community. Now, my hunch is that there's some of you in this room that's hearing this so far and what you're thinking is, you know, that's probably true for some people. You know, for those people out there who maybe don't have it quite together as I do. You know, for people who aren't as spiritually advanced as I am, who aren't as far along in the journey as I do, as I am. but if you're beginning to think those thoughts, the Apostle Paul has some words for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, listen to what he says. He says, so if you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Boy, the time that you think you are most set is the time that you are most on the precipice. Later, he adds in Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, he says to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul says that if you don't think you need community, then you are just fooling yourself. You're deceived. That you are setting duck in the crosshairs of the enemy's sight to knock you off. And you know, friends, the truth of it is, I'm just tired of seeing Christian marriages destroyed. I'm just tired of seeing Christians fall into sin. I'm really just tired of seeing Christians make stupid choices that have profound consequences. And it's all because they're convinced that they don't need anybody in their business. And they would rather see their marriage fall apart and their kids carry those scars than to admit to others, we need you to help us in this pursuit of trying to be married. That they would rather put themselves on the precipice of falling into sin than to admit, I struggle, I need help. We've got to get beyond that, because we all need community. It's all over the Bible. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you four truths about community. And here's the first one, if you want to fill in the blank. It's that community isn't natural. It isn't. If you want to look in your Bible, the very First book, Genesis, just in a couple of chapters. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. Follow along as I read. It says, when the woman, here talking about Eve, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband that's Adam who was with her and he ate it and it says then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked and so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves now you know this if you've been around church this is this is the fall of mankind into sin it's when Adam and Eve chose made that first decision to disobey God. We're all born separated from God because of this choice. They chose to sin. And when they did, for the first time, they realized that there was something about them that was not as it should be. And verse 8 says that then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they, what does it say? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, friends, hiding is what comes naturally. And that's why community takes work. That's why community takes effort. That's why community takes risk. Because everything inside of us is saying, no, don't let these people see the untogether parts of you. Keep hidden over here the things that's not as you think they should be. That's what comes natural. In fact, did you know it's entirely possible possible to be part of a small group and yet to be light years from community, to just turn that group into, you know, a time where we study. See, we claim to be people of the truth. And part of what that means is we love to look into the truth of God's Word. But so often we talk about the truth of God's Word, but we fail to bring the truth about us. And so we can talk about interpretations and understandings and, you know, what Jesus might be saying here, but all the time we're using our Bible to hide from each other. And we claim to be people of the truth, but we've missed the truth about us. I remember a while back visiting a small group and uh This particular group, I knew about a lot of junk that was going on amongst several people in the group. And so I was there, and what I noticed is that they had a really nice study. You know, and they read passages from their Bibles, and they had a nice discussion about the Bible. And they had a really nice prayer time. Where they prayed about, you know, everybody but anybody in the room? (laughs) You know, Uncle Jed and Aunt Mary and this guy at work and, you know, nothing about anybody that was there. Then we stood around and ate Fritos and chocolate cake and talked about the weather and talked about sports and then everybody went home. And I remember afterwards thinking to myself, what a shame to be right there in the context of the best place for community and yet to not be doing any of the things that would allow community to happen. And so my challenge to you, friends, is not simply to join a small group, although that might be where it starts for some of us in this room, but I don't think that's a high enough goal. My challenge to you is to pursue community to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And what that might mean for you is you to be the one who steps out. You be the one who's vulnerable, who's real, who quits hiding, who risks talking about your struggles and your failings. See, as Christians, we have this really bad habit. We, we tend to only talk about our struggles in the past tense. Have you noticed that? Oh, I used to struggle with this over here, but now I've got a handle on it. You know, Jesus is helping me and, you know, and, it, th- and, we, and we talk about the past. See, you be the one that steps up and talks about the struggles now, talks about the failings now, that talks about the disappointment now that we're going through. That's the stuff that fights against what's natural to hide. You see, community isn't natural, but it is worth it but to do it takes risk. Here's the second truth about community is that community isn't easy. Because you see, we're all way too busy. We are all way too stretched out. And none of us needs an extra meeting once a week to go to. Isn't that right? You know, I hear people all the time say to me, you know, They don't say to me, I just overhear them. And they say, you know, we're going to be a part of a small group or I'm going to be a part of a small group when, you know, when this season's over with, when this sport's done with, after this thing happens, then I'm going to do it. Let me let you in on a little secret. That time is never going to come. Because there's always something else to pick up when that win's over with, isn't it? You see, if you're going to be a part of community, it's going to take a determination that community is worth doing whatever it takes to have it. To commit to a group of people to be there for each other, not just once a week in a meeting, but in life as you go through it, as you live through the struggles of the dailiness of life. And to stay committed to each other through the conflict. You know what we as Americans do when there's conflict, don't you? We cut and run. Isn't that right? But say, you know, we're not going to do that with each other. We're going to be there in community to give the time and the energy and the effort to be together. I heard Mike Sullivan, who's one of the Zenos pastors, when someone told him that they didn't have time to be a part of community, he said, since when do we give the body of Christ our leftovers? You know, that I'll just do this if there's the time to make that happen. It takes a determined effort to put kingdom values ahead of American values. That if being a part of a small group of people who are walking in authentic community together is integral to your spiritual advancement, then why in the world do we let everything else dictate our priorities? ahead of that. You know, I remember our daughter, Joanna, who's almost 20 now, but when she was just a little girl, she was taking gymnastic lessons uh, down the road here, in fact, at uh, Pinnell, which was down here on Agler. And and uh, she was just taking gymnastic lessons. You know, she just liked to tumble and, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, Janet was there with uh, the mothers, you know, and they got to talk to her. They told, is Joanna, is she in dance, lesson too? Dan- dance lessons, lessons too? Uh, and she said, no. And they said, oh, she needs to be in those too. And is she in these lines, you know, where they, you know, whatever? You, well, no. She, oh, she needs to be in several of those too. And Janet begins thinking, oh, my gosh, we're failing Joanna, you know. And I remember we had this conversation about it, and we're thinking, well, what should we do? Should we, should we make this happen? And, so, and in the middle of it, all of a sudden it hit us. I think it was a God moment that we said, why in the world are we letting Penel determine what our priorities are going to be? And we've had that conversation a lot of times since then. Why in the world are we going to let Little League decide what our schedule is going to be? Why in the world are we going to give band the right to set our priorities? Or whatever it is. And we decided two things that were going to be true. One is that church, and it started as children's ministry and then moved on to youth ministry, but those kind of things were always going to be first. Now, don't get the impression that our kids were the type that just, you know, sat over in a chair until we told them to go to church. I mean, our kids were in everything, you know, out the wazoo, just like yours are if you have children. But we decided we were going to get the cart and the horse. In the right order. The other thing we decided is that we were always going to have time to be a part of authentic community in a small group. Because you see, friends, community isn't easy in an overextended, going 110 miles in three different directions kind of world. And if you wait until it's convenient to be in community, it's never going to happen. It isn't easy. Here's the third truth: is that community isn't pretty. In fact, a lot of times it's really messy. Sometimes it's incredibly uncomfortable. You see, community is bratty kids behaving badly, it's rebuilding trust after confidentiality has been broken. It's learning to depend on each other, which means having to fight against pride, having to fight against self-sufficiency that we've all learned to try to be. It's being humble enough to let others speak into your life. It's Doug's struggle with alcohol. It's Henry's fight to stay pure despite his struggle with pornography. It's Cindy's guilt and shame. It's Tom and Tanya's marriage struggles. It's walking through infidelity together. It's helping each other take steps of obedience to Christ. It's getting angry and handling all things wrong, and then having to come back and to apologize to the group for the things you said. It's getting into each other's face at times and crying with each other at other times. It's feeling hurt when you see people that you know and love walk away from doing the things that God wants them to do. See, that's the stuff of authentic community. Henry Nouwen has a great quote. I, I hope you'll enjoy this as much as I do. Let me, let me share it with you. He said, I am learning that the best cure for hypocrisy is community. And then he gives a little more clarity to that. He says, hypocrisy is not so much the result of not living what I preach, but much more of not confessing my inability to fully live up to my own words. Man, isn't that good? That I'm not half as good as I spend most of my time pretending to be. That I don't have my act together half as much as I let on most of the time. And that I need others who will help me in the struggle. A small group of people who will be a place not where we come together and pretend to have it all worked out but a place where we come together and freely admit that we don't. And together, we help each other in the struggle of striving to live God's way in a sinful world. And when you really get to that place, it's usually pretty messy. It's not a straight arrow. It isn't pretty. One more is that community isn't selfishly held on to. And this last point is important because, see, our tendency is to be in that place and to really see God work and us come together with this small group of people and really be a part of each other's lives and see God do this great thing so that we're experiencing community together. And then here's what we do. Carnal us. This is what we do. We go. This is my community. Keep your hands off of my community. Go find your own community. Don't be coming in here and messing this up. This is mine. And we take this work of God And we become selfish about it. Listen to the contrast of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, that last passage that I have for you there. Paul says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. We ought to be like Jesus in this regard, he says. And then he tells us about Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't consider it something to hold on to, to selfishly embrace and and refuse anything else. He didn't do that. Verse 7 says, "...but instead he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death." even death on a cross. You see, Jesus put us first. He was in heaven experiencing all the benefits of being God. And yet he didn't grasp that he laid it aside so he could come because we needed a Savior. You see, Jesus' example is to always put himself out for the sake of others. And if in your pursuit of community, you begin to hold on to it tightly, you will lose it every time. That's why I think groups need to be open. Because the example of Jesus is to always extend it to more. But for the dynamic of small groups to stay small groups, they also need to be open to multiplication so that the groups can stay small, so that community can continue to happen. See, the lie that we've been taught is this sense that says, oh, no, well, see, the only way we can have community is if, if, you know, we keep other, it's just us, and we don't let anybody else in because we, you know, we know each other, and if we let anybody else in, it's going to really change that, and, you know, we need to, and we'll just hold on to this, you know, just us. That's a lie. See, the truth is, when you do that, it just turns selfish and misses the heart of Christ. See, The things that bring about community truthfully are things like humility. Things like submitting to each other and being committed to each other and putting the needs of others ahead of yourself. It's not just something that we man-make because we'll just hold on to it selfishly. Community can't become something you grasp and try to selfishly hold on to. And so again, my friends, I challenge you to pursue community, but to do it with the heart of Jesus, not with the heart of a consumer. Well, let me close with with telling you about my friend Ted. I remember the church that we were in, we began to do small groups and Ted came up to me one day. Good guy. I like Ted. We were friends. And Ted said, you know, I don't want to be a part of one of them small groups because I don't want a bunch of people in my business. And I said, hey, Ted, it's all right. No, you know, I mean, nobody's going to tie you up and make you and so forth. But I said, you know, man, great things are going on. And I really think, and he, nope, don't want that. Don't want them people in my business. Well, over time, what happened is Ted did get in a small group. And he really began to experience community. And I remember him coming up to me a couple of years later and saying, you know, Jay, I'm in my 60s now, and I am growing spiritually like I never have before. And I'm a part of people's lives, and they're a part of my life in a way that I, I never knew could be. And and there's we're working together and seeing People come to Jesus, and I've I've just never experienced that before. He said, I'm so glad I let a bunch of people into my business. And maybe that's what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you this morning, is it's time to let a bunch of people, not a bunch of people, but a small group of people into your business. See, we are the most connected people of any time in human history. I mean, we got cell phones and instant messaging and email and texting, and we are the most connected people of any time. But don't for a minute confuse with know. Confuse knowing a lot of people with truly being known. Don't for a minute confuse. The fact that you talk to a lot of people with being at a level where you're really talking deeply with people. See, the cure for this crowded loneliness that's our culture of today is community. A small group of people that you really will become a part of each other's lives. and You'll make room for each other so that God can work there. Well, let me ask you to reach inside your celebration folder one more time and pull out this tan card, a little quarter of a page thing, because I want to give you a chance to respond. Maybe for some of you, there's something on here that, that would mark just to indicate the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning. Maybe for some of you, it's not. But let me explain it to you. And then after we sing another song, we'll take an offering and you can stick this in the offering baskets as they pass by. But Maybe some of you would want to mark that top box that says, I'm celebrating that the small group I'm a part of is living in authentic community. Maybe you're a part of a small group and you're seeing that happen. And you just want to say amen to everything you've said. You just mark that box. Maybe for some of you, though, that isn't the case. And maybe the box you need to mark is the one that says this. You know what? The Holy Spirit has spoken to me. And I have been avoiding community. I have been giving myself excuses. And you know what? No more. I'm going to clear the way in my life to be part of community. Maybe some of you, you're a part of a small group, but as I've talked this morning about community, you're thinking, well, I don't know that that's really happening there. Then maybe you need to mark that third box that says, you know what? I'm going to commit to be that person who steps up and begins to risk being real and begins to talk about the, the true struggles and the true difficulties. I, I'm going to be a change agent in our group. Some of you are thinking, but I'm not the leader. That doesn't matter. You, maybe the Holy Spirit's telling you to step up and do that. Maybe there's some of you here that aren't in a group. And you think, you know what, I, I, That that that's probably the first step for me. Well, that fourth box says that, You do want to be a part of a small group here at New Life. And next week, we're going to have a big fair right after all of the celebration services where we'll have people in the lobby and they would love to talk to you about small groups in general or their small group in specific. And you're saying, you know what? I'm going to do that. And next week, I'm going to talk to people about that. Maybe there's some of you that want to say that fifth box. You know what? I'm so excited. I don't want to wait till next week. If you mark that box, I'll... I or someone will call you this week and talk to you about a small group. Now, if you mark that box, make sure you put your name and your phone number over here because I'm not that good. You know, I mean, if if I don't have a number, I can't. It's hard to call people you don't know, but who they are. You put that information over there if that's you. The last one is this: I want to lead a small group. Maybe you've heard the Holy Spirit saying, you know what, you need to step, you need to not only step into this, you need to be on the front end of making this stuff happen. We won't put you in leading a group tomorrow. But we'll begin to take those steps with you to put you at that place. You mark that one. There's a place on the back if, you know, you've got stories that have been happening in your life about groups. You want to share. Man, I love reading those stories. You can mark that as well. And so in a little while, we'll take our offering, and you can put those in there as well. But we're going to sing a closing song, and so let me invite you to to be standing And let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to pursue community. Because we want to be all that you want us to be. We want to see you work. We want to be people who experience the power of your love. And so as we just continue our worship, Lord, receive this as the call of our heart now. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen.